I am a watcher. Part of a secret society of men and women who observe and record, but never interfere. Now it's Christmas. Yes, it's Christmas. Thank God it's Christmas. And just like that, welcome back to uh, Watcher's Chronicle. This is Jay, or maybe Cuthbert, depending on how you know me. It's Christmas time, and, well, let's face it, I figured that everybody else gets to do some kind of Christmas show. TV d- does it, movies will do it. I haven't seen it on Star Trek yet. I'm holding out hope for the Orville. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. But I just thought I wanted to do something, and the reason why, well, it's going to come up here in a bit, but it involves my uncle. But it's Christmas time, and I don't know about anybody else out there, but I'm somebody who always deals with the, you know, the Christmas blues, the uh, I, it just, at times I get a little bummed by it, just, it's become, okay, I guess it's because everybody's so worried about buying. You know, how much do I buy? How much is this person going to spend on me? I've got to spend the same amount on them because it's a competition. It should, giving should never be a competition. But these things happen. And to help this, I sit there have a couple of traditions to help me really get in that Christmas mood every year. There's lots of traditions out there, whether it's decorating the tree together, the Christmas dinner, going out and looking at lights. But for me, it it's always been movies. You're probably going to think I'm going to go with It's a Wonderful Life. Well, first off, I love that, but that's not really the one that does it for me. For me, it's A Christmas Carol. Every year, I'll read it. I'll watch it. Uh, the television movies, the... Let's see, my favorite's Patrick Stewart, Muppets. The George C. Scott version's fantastic. But it's just the story. And this year, I had the chance to go to the Dallas Theater Center and see it done on stage. It's my first time to see it ever done live. They took a few liberties, small things like for Scrooge's nephew, it became his niece, Lucy. The Ghost of Christmas Past was played by his mother, which made that a little more impacting as she took him back through his life of those Christmas past like a mother who's going to scold her child. The changes did not change the show. It did not change the meaning. But they were nice changes to see this different version. I, was, I told my son afterwards, my son was in the show. So I told him afterwards that, you know, even with the changes, the liberties they took, it didn't change it. It was my Christmas carol, and I was looking forward to seeing it again. It's just a heartfelt. It was a fantastic time. I really enjoyed it. For everything else going on, I've got, you know, Twilight Zone. There's always the Twilight Zone for me, and you know that. And I'll be talking about the episode later on. It's called Night of the Meek. But before that, I'd like to break into just a couple small things. Of course, I always have to talk about, that's right, the fitness center. Well, this time for the fitness center, it's going to be, I guess, just a little bit different because the people going right now, they're working their hardest to get in there before the rush starts. You see, in about two weeks, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who get on the scales and they go, oh my God, I put on weight. And they're going to think, I've got to do something about it. What can I do? The gym! And the gym is going to be filled with all these people coming in in their fancy Lulamons, whatever new latest stuff they can buy. They'll be coming in, signing up for their memberships and getting a personal trainer because, of course, you can't lose weight without a personal trainer. And this is all going to be going on. And so for the next few weeks, it's going to be very difficult to get in there and do any kind of workout. 
But at the same time, that also means I'm going to have a whole lot more material to pull from for the little hijinks. So we'll just kind of leave the fitness center that this month and give them a Christmas break. Like the way I work that in. Okay, I'm going to do something tonight I've been wanting to do for a while. And with Christmas Eve being when this when this podcast will be broadcast, it's especially memorable for me. And that will get to that. The song you're hearing is Vince Vance and the Valiants and All I Want for Christmas is You. This song, of course, is a cover, but it became popular back during the Iraqi War as those soldiers were gone for Christmas and the thought was, you know, all I want for Christmas is you. We've all dealt with that. And 75 years ago, my family dealt with that, my grandparents. My uncle would be the bombardier in a B-17 over Germany. The, the limited, it's a very limited lifespan. They average lifespan was 12 missions. They would be told this, they'd make sure they had their wills updated and at one point even brought in and told, you are now living on borrowed time. It is statistically impossible for you to survive to your 25th mission. Please make sure all your affairs are in order. Can you imagine being told that at the age of 20, 21, 22, that you'll most likely be dead within the next month unless by some miracle of miracles you beat the statistics? My uncle is one of those people who made it far enough to hear that. He made notes. I've got journal entries that he made during that time. And the bomb group that he was in, I've contacted them, and I actually bought a book from them. They gave information about the missions, and I've been able to do research on his particular ship, his missions in particular, what was going on, where he flew out of it. It's an amazing journey for me to do all this. And... A couple of years ago, I did this on Facebook, where for each mission, on the exact day it was, so 73 years to the day for his missions, I had the mission posting for what would happen on that day. And I wrote from his point of view. It started off, people were going, what the heck is this? But then I explained it, and as people got into it, as people got into reading it, they started getting into it, waiting for that next one to see what was going to happen. Because I never told them one very th particular thing. I never told them what his final, his, how his journey of those 25 missions would end up. And so tonight, I'm not going to do all of them, but I'd like to do a few of them. Pick and choose. Monday, September 2nd, 1943. Mission 1. It's a day after and I'm still alive. There is no guarantee. Yesterday was the first mission. The enemy has occupied France and that's where the group's going. The target's curling bastard France. The mission briefing, the first one gave maps, targets, alternate targets. I had to take a blood oath to destroy the Norden bomb site before I saved myself. It's a day after I'm still alive. There were others that weren't so lucky. Their personal effects, they're boxed up. They're sent home. Others are coming in. They're going to take their place. 
I'm just going to make 24 more of these. October 2nd, 1943. Mission 7. The mission briefings have gotten easier, but climbing up into the B-17 each day gets harder. The names of the places bombed are places that we'll never forget. We've had some rough times. The plane's been shot up so bad we had to use a different plane. It's been a lot going on, and the other day we hit Emden, Germany. It was a rough time. I hope never to go back to there. Then yesterday, I had to do it anyway. I hate that city. It was a hard fight in. Even worse on the way out. I'm still alive, though. Seven missions down. Eighteen to go. That magic number of 25. I'm starting to wonder if I'm going to make it. Mission 11, October 10th, 1943. Man, I thought two days ago was bad. Today was unforgettable. At the mission today, I learned the target was Munster, Germany. We had to take a different plane again. Our bird still wasn't back after being shot up so bad last time, so we borrowed one from the 100th Bomb Group. Named the Uncle Mike. I don't think they're going to be happy they're not getting her back. Brand new B-17F. We never thought it was going to be our only mission. Enemy fighters came at us harder than I can ever remember. The attacks were vicious. All the bombers' defenses were saturated. I mean, there was one one bird flying the same direction as us, less than 100 yards away. I got him. There's only one of three chances of making it to 25 missions, but my chances are a lot better than his. This mission was different. Before, we were bombing only U-Bart yards, aircraft plants, oil installations, industrial targets. Today, we're taking it to the people. We're bombing civilians to make them realize there is a war going on and that they are the victims of their own military leadership in Germany. We've all been informed of the atrocities committed by the Nazis in the name of the German people. But this mission was different. It was successful. And I helped lay those bombs at the front steps of the Munster Cathedral. But it cost us. Those, the Germans never stopped attacking. The, I mean, combat crews come and go. I remember one replacement crew. They arrived at the base late one night, and they were sent out on a mission the very next day. They didn't even have time to unpack their luggage and personal belongings, and they didn't come back from that mission. One in three chance to come back. I'm already living on borrowed time. I'm beginning to wonder out whose time I'm going to borrow next. But back to the Uncle Mike. We had a rough time. We were shot. A German fighter shot up a right, a right wing flap almost up to the number three engine fuel tank. Finding our way back was impossible. We were no fuel, lost. We, we even hit a barrage balloon when the captain found a runway. We, we didn't know what runway it was. Steep descent. With that flap all shut up, he was afraid to use any of them. Made it down safely, way too fast. But the flaps worked on the runway. And we ran out of concrete, though. Brakes locked up, tire smoking, we ran off the other end. The nose went into the ground and the tail came up. It all fell back down. The tail wheel struck the concrete and drove it up to the vertical stabilizer, and the plane broke in half of the ball turret. <laughs> You've never seen 10 guys exit anything so fast. None of us were hurt in that landing. We're at the wrong base, but we're all alive. <laughs> 11 missions down. If I wrote a letter to say
Mission 14, November 3rd, 1943. It's been two weeks since that last mission. Like the entire squadron got a two-week vacation. Well, except for the ground crews. They're busy fixing up all the birds. But ours looks great, and she's ready to fly, and the cabin's ready to get in the cockpit. We're still bombing the Germans hard. Recon says that bombing their homes in addition to the military targets is having the desired effect. Now we get to continue sending the message. We hit them hard today. 28 birds flew from our squadron. 28 came back. It's damn nice beating all the same guys at dinner we had breakfast with. We even had some new guys. You can always tell these new ones in the morning. They're lucky to keep their coffee down. Well, this group, they call their bird the Cheyenne. They got back okay. and They learned what we all know, that the B-17 is built to take a lot of damage and can still bring you home safe. They tore into chow night like they had not eaten in days. Scared this morning, tonight. They're part of the squadron. No mission tomorrow. That's 14 missions. 11 to go. Mission 15. November 5th, 1943. I hate days like this. It was a successful mission. We dropped bombs. We hit the target. But we left 21 ships and only 20 came home. You know, the stats, only one other guy was wounded, some tail gunner named Barry. But the lost, we lost the new guys, the ones flying the Cheyenne. You know, two days ago, they were scared, and they went out on that first mission. I mean, we've all heard of that story about that crew that never came back after their first. But the Cheyenne made it back. Today, none of them did. The hardest part, they weren't even shot down. They had mechanical failure after the takeoff. They went into a flat spin and they were only 3,000 feet off the ground and crashed into the North Sea. Our radio man, he said he could hear them screaming over the open mic. We're packing their gear tonight to send home to their parents. I wonder who's going to pack my gear when the time comes. I keep thinking of that borrowed time I'm flying on. There are 10 guys who went out only for two missions. I guess that's where mine comes from. I keep flying. Someone else goes in a, home in a box. But the ground crew, they're taking it hard. They're blaming themselves tonight. I mean, those guys really look after us. They gave us a hard time. We bring back the birds all shot up. But whenever somebody doesn't come back, you can see it in their eyes. They all wonder if they could have done something more, especially tonight. Fifteen missions done. Whose unused mission am I going to fly on next? Back to tinsel, stockings and bows Cause all I want for Christmas is you Mission 21, December 11th, 1943 Man, what a day Now we've had a few weeks off, they shifted paperwork They moved us to a new crew number Same men, same plane, just military garbage Maybe it's the company clerk trying to make sergeant I mean, but today was my 21st mission, and we went back to Emden, Germany. It's my third time there, and I, I think the captain knows his way by heart. The 8th Air Command, they're stepping up the bombings. I mean, I have never seen so many bombers in the sky at once. I think we emptied every airfield around for this one. But they were still ready for us. Debriefing said we sent 583 bombers, and 41 of those came from the 390th Bomb Group. 
We hit the, every industrial target we could find. We knocked over 100 German airplanes out of the sky. But it came at a heavy price, man. We lost almost 20 aircraft, 200 men killed, wounded, or missing. 200 men. Don't know how many are dead or how many are headed for interrogation with the Gestapo. And all the squadrons are packing up the effects from these men to send home. But after the debrief, I need a drink or ten. I've seen a lot. I've seen aircraft blown out of the skies. Guys shot up, wounded. You can't do a thing about it, but still, I never thought what I'd see this time. We lost the group operations officer, Major Ralph Hansel. We were flying right next to him. He was in six nights in Telurgma. I'm always going to remember this aircraft going down after it got hit. I mean, I'm always going to remember Major Ralph Hansel trying to get out through the co-pilot's window with his parachute on fire. The chute must have popped inside the aircraft and then sucked out when the windows opened. No matter how long I live, I'm always going to be able to see Major Hansel on fire trying to get out of that plane through the co-pilot's window. Mission 24, December 20th, 1943. Oh, God. I think they're really trying to kill us. I'm just back from the briefing. We're going back to Bremen again. The captain looks upset. That city's been rough before, but we didn't want to go back. And Yesterday and now again today. He said he'll bring us home safe. I mean, we have our good luck back, but we got our bird back. She'll take care of us. I know she will. This is me again, Jay. No longer doing my uncle. This will be the crew's final flight in the Geronimo. She was hit by flak during that 24th mission. She was forced to drop out of the formation. Five enemy fighters were seen to come in for the kill. My uncle's personal effects would arrive home a few weeks later. Due to an unknown error in the War Department, noti notifications were sent to the family. It would be another week or two before the family finally learned of his fate. When the hearse from the funeral home he'd previously worked at pulled up in front of the house with him in it. Thank you for letting me share these stories from my uncle. Like I said, I put these journals together based on notes he had made, journal entries that he had made. Then with the research, I put the rest of it together. That 24th mission is something that's well documented in our family. The War Department would release information about it a few months later, and it would be written up in his hometown newspaper talking about his exploits and what happened that day. But for us, it's a story that will be carried on forever. There's lots of other soldiers across the sea right now that are hoping they'll come home. Think of them as you come along your Christmas. Be, thank be thankful for them. Pray for them. Whatever you can, hope we can get all these guys home safe. But now I'd like to transition away and talk about the Twilight Zone. You know it's my thing to sit there and bring a Twilight Zone into this. And I've talked about Night of the Meek. 
Night of the Meek is one of my favorite. It's one of my two favorite Christmas specials. The other one is called Changing of the Guard. But tonight we'll talk about this one. Night of the Meek would be done twice. The first during the original presentation from the 1960s, and again in the 1985 version. The original would be starring Art Carney, the remake Richard Mulligan. And each one, our star is working as a mall Santa Claus, but he's not happy with life. He's upset. He wishes he could do more, and he's basically in a bar getting drunk, just being no good. I mean, it's Christmas Eve, and he's told all these kids, yes, you'll get this on Christmas Day, knowing that he can't make it happen. And he just wishes just this once that he could really give them what... Now, the Twilight Zone being the Twilight Zone would take this one step further. After that wish, we heard a little jingle bell off in the distance. No clue what that is. But the next thing you know, there's something in the bag. Our little mall Santa has a bag, and there's something in it. He looks in there, and it's what the person next to him wants for Christmas. And he pulls it out and hands it to them. He goes down the street seeing the people. Next thing you know, he's handing out gifts to everybody. They tell him what they want. He reaches into the bag and he pulls it out. He's able to give everybody what he, they want. Well, the store owner, he sees this going on. He figures all this stuff has been stolen. So they have him arrested. They go in there and explain how he got this. Because he doesn't have receipts. All of a sudden, he looks in the bag and pulls out receipts for everything. And the store is like, this can't be possible. He's like, I don't know what's going on. I just know that whatever people want, I reach to the bag in there. So the guy's like, fine. I want this apple peach brandy. Reaches to the bag, pulls it out, and there it is. The store, they can't explain it. They go off, they're like, they can't understand it. The, the day finally comes to an end. He's exhausted. He's given everybody everything they want for Christmas. The bag's empty. There's nothing left in it for him. And somebody's talking to him about that and goes, you know, if I had my wish, I'd do this every year. And the two episodes handle this differently from there. But we heard that mysterious jingle again. Where Art Carney, he would walk down the street and find a sleigh. Boy, my voice is having a hard time. Thank you for being patient. And he found a sleigh. And in this sleigh was an elf telling, come on, Santa, we have to get going. We only have a year to get ready for next. We only have a year to get ready for next time. I can't remember the exact quote. For Richard Mulligan, he became a Santa while he was in the house. He was excited because they got to learn how Santa Claus was going to go up the chimney. But it became that thing of what Christmas is about. Christmas for Rod Serling, you know, because Rod Serling had so many views on things. But it was, Christmas is about giving. What you can do for somebody else. What you can do for somebody else to make them happy. It's not about what you get, unless it's love you get. But it's about what you can do for somebody else. You can make somebody smile. I've got something silly I do. In December when I go out to eat, if my waitress has given me good, my server, I'm sorry, my server has given me great service, I overtip. I don't mean I overtip by 
I'll overtip anywhere between 50% and 100% of the check. And I'll write Merry Christmas on there. Something stupid you can do. I mean, this last time I was over there and the girl came up and said, I'm sorry. And said, we've been busy. I said, don't worry about it. It's Christmas time. We know that, by the way. We understand the kitchen is going to be slow because you're busy. And she just laughed. I said, we're going to be your easiest customers of the day. Later on, she actually thanked us for being her easiest customers. And then I overtipped her. Uh, I got out before she picked up the tab. I have no idea what her reaction was. I hope she enjoyed it. But it made me feel good, not because of the money I gave, but because I made somebody happy during a, str a stressful time. That's what makes Christmas happy for me. It's those simple little things. What you can do to make somebody happy, something for them, but it's not about you. And now, if you wouldn't mind, let's step back once again in time to December 20th, 1943, and the rest of the story for what happened that day. When we last left, <laughs> the Geronimo was seen being with five planes coming in to attack her for that kill. As my uncle did report, it's a miracle. I can't believe it. They must have been... They must have been too anxious. They were, didn't wait till we were clear of the flight group. They came in on us, and all of a sudden, the B-17s closest to it, they all lit up at the same time. Three of those birds disintegrated in midair. One or the other was hit, and the last two of them, they took off running. They didn't want any more of it. We made it into the clouds and were able to hide, and we made it back to base. We made it back to base safe. I don't know how we're here, but the cabin got hurt. So did another. I don't think they're going to join us for that 25th mission. But by the grace of God, we're back alive. One more mission. Just one more mission. And that mission came. For the crew of the Geronimo, to <laughs> On the crew of the Geronimo, December 24th, 1943, 75 years ago today, the target was the V-weapon site in France. 526 B-17s hit it, another 192 B-24s, over 700 bombers, and the sky was turned black as they hit multiple targets. The guys from the from the drama, they're going to live. They'll go home. And the new captain, he's going to take care of us. He did. Our bird, the drama, she was so beat up after that last one, we don't know when she's going to fly again. But we're here today on the dolly. The B-17G, the ground crew said, they'll get the drama back together, <clears throat> and they're going to make sure that we got a bird guard. <laughs> The ground crew said they'll make sure the Geronimo is put back together and they'll make sure we've got a good bird for our flight today. We had two moon It was still a fight. We had two men wounded today. I mean, probably worse than the last time to Bremen, but we bombed them as hard as we could. We made it back. Everybody made it back. 
It's a hell of a day when that many bombers take off and everyone makes it back. It's a Christmas present. I went over to Geronimo after it was all over and I thanked her. The other guys, they knew it was our 25th. They've been avoiding us for a while. They're, I think they're afraid they jinx us. And now they're hugging us. They're hitting us on the back. I think they're trying to take some of our luck so they can carry it forward into theirs. Because the truth is, man, if we could beat the odds, if we could make 25 missions and go home, maybe they could too. So on December 24th, Christmas Eve of 1944, my uncle flew his final mission with the 390th Bomb Group. He flew 25 missions. He would earn the Distinguished Flying Cross with two stars. I made a comment earlier about how he came home, coming home in the hearse. Well, that's the real rest of the story. It's all true. His personal effects were sent home, and there was no news of what happened to him. And a couple weeks later, after his effects got there, he flew he flew into Tinker Air Force Base. And the first thing he did was he called up the buddies he used to work with at the funeral home. They were glad to hear from him, asked him what he was going to do, and he told them, I'm going to go out and see the folks. Now, in 1943, it wasn't common to have a phone in your home, so you didn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, Mom, Dad, I'm coming. So they asked him, well, how are you going to get out there? He goes, well, I'm going to take the bus. I said, no, you're not. Look, we got to pick up the other side of town. We'll pick you up. We'll take you out there. You know, it was, about, it was about 20 miles. We'll take you out there, and we'll drop you off. You don't need to get a bus. So they put him as a passenger in the hearse that day, and they drove out to my grandparents' house. And they got out front, and they parked. They told, look, we're going to wait for you. That way, in case they're not home, you know, you can come back around to us. You don't have to wait around. It was, you know, January is a cold time of year. So my uncle went up the steps, and he got to the door. Of course, you know, all the doors in those days had the big windows in them. And he knocked on the door. And I've got a, I've got a really bad um, sense of humor. It's kind of dark at times, out of place. I get it from my uncle. You see, after he knocked on the door, he thought, I'm going to surprise Mom. And he stepped to the side where she couldn't see him. So she went to answer the door. And what she could see in front of her house was the funeral home hearse. There were her son's effects on the side of the room. And there was a hearse. She just knew the hearse was bringing her son's body back to her. My mother said that when she opened the door that day, she was dying just a little bit with every step, every bit, crying. She opened that door ready to be greeted with the worst news of her life. Only for, to have my uncle in his uniform step over. Hi, Mama. I'm home. My grandmother was a small woman, about four foot eleven, five foot. My uncle, probably closer to 5'10". We never have figured out why she didn't kill him that day, because it came close. <laughs> we always said she didn't know whether to kill him or hug him, but she hugged him. And we found out, like I said, the, when the War Department released issues of the mission, we found out later on what happened to that 24th day, that 24th mission. I have the newspaper article sitting right over there in my cabinet. We lost him in 91. He would die of a heart attack during the Iraqi war. You see, World War II memories came back. The memories of being in the B-17s. 
the air battles and what it was like, and it was too much for him. He died a victim of World War II in January 1991. Thank you for letting me share the story of my uncle with you tonight. The big thing about this is, was family got to come home. Okay, he didn't make a home for Christmas, but I'm pretty sure that they had a second Christmas just for him, just to have him back. He would stay with him for a couple months before shipping over and doing, you know, he'd work out in New Mexico as an instructor. The bird, the Geronimo, she would fly about another 30 missions. She would go down in July of 1944. When my uncle found out, they said he just got quiet and didn't want to talk about it. That was an old friend of his. And he also knew it was like to know about the 10 people that had been lost on her that day. As I've done this story tonight, this has kind of been twofold. One, to share the stories of my uncle. But also, as we round up the story of Christmas, Christmas, Christmas times family, friends, Times you can celebrate together, laugh together, cry about together. But whatever it is, this is a time where instead of being upset because of the stores being so full or not being able to get the biggest turkey or anything else, just being able to celebrate the day, the people you're with, making the most of it. For Scrooge, if you remember the story, he would always say, Bah humbug. For him, he felt he was seeing Christmas as it was. That one day out of the year, people were nice to each other, and they talked about how wonderful it was to be around everybody else. But the rest of the year, they were surly and just like him, and he felt he was being honest and true. But after the three spirits visited him that night, he saw the meaning of Christmas, except unlike the others who celebrated it once a year, he celebrated it all year long. He was happy all year long. He celebrated it, enjoyed the friends, the family, everything more. They talked about how with the crashes that he became a second father to Tiny Tim because he took Christmas and kept it in his heart and kept it there every day. As we go up this next year, keep Christmas in your hearts every day. Be like Scrooge. If anybody ever tells you like Scrooge, take it as a compliment because you're keeping Christmas in your heart and your life every day of the year. Merry Christmas. I hope it's the most wonderful day. I hope you have some memories. And I hope, I hope to talk to you again soon. Bye.